0: In. This, is to greatest and greatest, well, this is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? VR training platforms, like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International, are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
1: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
0: Learn more at meta.com/slash/metaverseimpact. Many of us spend our time wondering who the good enough partner is, what the good enough career is, who the good enough self is. We're stuck on this hamster wheel, looking for the next great thing, always looking for the next step, good, better, best. What if we took a beat, got off the wheel and decided to let what we have be good enough? I'm Ella Dove, Senior Director of Creative Development and your host of today's podcast. As we enter 2023, Happy New Year, don't know how that happened, wow. I sat down with Leah Avellino to discuss exactly that. What if instead of living this never stop improving lifestyle, We decided to explore the difference between complacency and acceptance to find out what is and who is good enough for us. My name is Leah Avellino,
1: and I'm a therapist by training with specialization in relationships and also somatic interventions. So, looking at the ways where we might want to achieve certain things like be in a healthy relationship or stop over relying on alcohol to cope with stress, but we have a hard time actually doing that. So I work with people to look at what is happening in the body that's getting in the way of you being your badass self out in the world. And I also run uh, an emotional wellness organization in the heart of Brooklyn called Spoke, where we have therapy and group support, and we help people move through hard things and get rid of the stuff that weighs them
0: down. So when you say you look for the signals that are happening in the body that are keeping you from overcoming or achieving the goals, what do you look for?
1: So what we try to do is look at where an individual is experiencing dissatisfaction. So this question of what is good enough is a really good place to start. Oftentimes I notice people come in in their 30s and 40s with that question because they're like, wait a second, I did everything right. (laughs) I went to school, I followed the rules, I moved to the big city, I got the job with the cool title, but why do I feel unfulfilled? And to your point, Ella, life can start to feel like a constant self-improvement project. And what we try to do with people at Spoke is support them and looking at where is that question, what is good enough come from? And how is it actually getting in the way of you experiencing contentment, joy, and pleasure? Because when we're constantly in our head about not being good enough, we don't
0: feel very good. So can you kind of define what you mean when you say good enough? I ask this because I think for somebody who's like a hyperachiever perfectionist, to me, I'm like, good is not enough. Like, mm. is good? are we talking about good enough from this perspective of like, oh, okay, fine. It's good enough. Or are we saying like, it's never good enough?
1: Yes. Yes. So I think it would be really helpful for us to actually take a step back and look at where that question comes from and then define what is good enough and actually how people mix up good enough with perfect. So if we go back in history, in 1700 Western Europe, there were a total of 400 jobs. <laughs> now there are 500,000 and growing. So it makes sense why we're dissatisfied with our careers. If Let's take dating as well. Back in the day, you could only meet someone in your local community or by word of mouth referral. Today, there are over 8,000 competitive dating sites. We even have research about the cheesecake factory. I don't know if you guys know the restaurant, but what the research shows is that when we look at the menu with a zillion choices, we actually order the thing that's most familiar to us. So we might get the salad simply because we're so overwhelmed by having so many choices. So I think this good enough question is coming up for a lot of people right now, because the more choices we have, the less content we feel with our choice. There's a zillion other options out there for us to choose from. So should I be happy in New York when I could live in like seven other really cool cities? (laughs) Should I be happy with my partner when there's technically a zillion other people I can meet out in the world? Should I be happy with my body when I'm doing one form of exercise, but I heard about this other form that's supposed to transform your abs. So I just want to take that step back to look at why so many of us are feeling weighed down rather than energized by this question to get into what is good enough i think that's something that is defined by often our family of origin as well as the culture around us so what typically ends up happening is we figure out who we need to be to receive love and acceptance in our home and what a good job is what a good girl is what a good worker is And then as we age, that voice that we heard from our caregivers and community gets implanted in our heads. And the tricky thing is it sounds like it's your voice, but really it's an external voice that has become so internalized that we cannot separate it from ourselves. The second thing is we start to mix up good enough with perfect. So for many of us, in order to avoid rejection, shame and fear, We learn this survival strategy where if only we could just get it exactly right, then we can make sure no one criticizes us, nobody dumps us, nobody doesn't like us. And so the perfection aspect that we developed in our identities was actually a reaction to shame. Shame is the fear of disconnection. We don't want disconnection. So we try to be everything we need to be in order... To feel safe and good in our relationships. So many times when we're saying, is it good enough, we're actually underneath saying, is it perfect? Which it's never going to be. And then the third aspect has to, to do with culture. There's this Sonia Renee Taylor book called The Body Is Not an Apology quote that I really love. And it really is about you know how at home we feel in ourselves in our body is determined by how safe the world around us has made us feel so to be in a female body a black body an aging body a fat body a body with mental illness is an awakening daily to a planet that accepts a certain set of apologies to be already on our tongues there is a level of not enough and too much sewn into each of these strands of difference. So oftentimes when we're asking ourselves those questions, like I know for me, for example, um, in my culture of whiteness, like skinniness was really valued. So a lot of my questions around good enough have to do with how my body appears. I grew up in an immigrant family um, where no one went to college. So being good enough was going to an Ivy League school because that is what white, dominant, educated culture told me. So when we often feel not good enough, it can also be helpful to look at what messages did the world send me about the value of my body, my brain, my heart? And is it really about who I am that isn't good enough? Or is it about a culture that's told me lies to keep me down and keep me submissive that isn't good enough?
0: Well, what you've just spoken to really brings to mind this idea of intrinsic value and how Mm. that has been so devalued in our culture can you talk me through what that you know how intrinsic value connects to this idea of good enough yes so many of us when we're struggling with this
1: question of good enough are really operating from a place of worry about what we are valued for not what we value many of us aren't asked what do you value Hey, Ella, what do you love? What lights you up? What brings you pleasure? How do you feel about living a pleasure-centered life? Most of us are asked, what are you valued for? How good can you be? How productive can you be? How on time, how beautiful, how friendly, right? And so we create entire lives around what we're valued for. And then as we reach midlife, we start to feel, wait a second, I did everything right and I still feel like crap? So it's actually astounding in support circles that spoke or in individual therapy sessions, when I ask people, what do you want? I cannot tell you the amount of people that have said, I don't know, no one's
0: ever asked me that. And even those of us that maybe got asked that or are getting asked that, we don't know the answer to the question because for so much of our lives, the answer to that question was what I thought I should want and what I thought I enjoyed and what I thought, you know, looked good. And I think as you get to this point in life, it's hard to kind of detangle what you've created as your image versus like what you actually enjoy that came out of that image. And I'm, I'm at a point in life where I don't really know anymore. I'm I'm perfectly okay. I'm not allowed to say fine anymore. Perfectly good, but I'm looking for something more and I don't know how to get there. So- What ends up happening for those of us who have really been posed this question,
1: how are you valuable, what can you do for others and be for others, is we develop a mask. We figure out we're really smart at being like, "Ooh, if I just kind of contort like Gumby and fit into this mold, then I will get the affirmation, the acceptance, the care, the attention. But what ends up happening is the mask really buries the qualities that we put it on to save. So we covered up who we really were to be who other people needed us to be. And then around 30s and 40s, we start to feel like, ew, this isn't adequate because it's not the real thing. It will always not feel as good because it's not as good. It's like the knockoff Louis Vuitton bag versus the real thing. (laughs) It's gonna feel different. And so uh, many of us start to notice, okay, this mask doesn't feel good, but to your point, Ella, Well, then what? What do we do with that information? If that doesn't feel good, how do I figure out
0: and get on a path to determining what does? Yeah, so what do you do from here? When you establish like, okay, I'm looking for something else, I wanna get off the hamster wheel of just people pleasing and creating this image of myself, where do you go from there?
1: So at that point, you're gonna start to feel uncomfortable. You're gonna start getting somatic signalings when you start to tell the truth and be yourself. So starting to tell the truth is really simple. It's just doing what you're doing right now. Like, oh wait, I don't really like this. This doesn't feel good to me. Telling yourself an honest story about your life rather than continuing to try to churn out and follow the pact. When we start to tell the truth to ourselves, sometimes we break out in hives. Sometimes we start to get worried. Sometimes we clam up. We speak from a shaky voice. That's going to all feel like we're going in the wrong quote unquote direction, but really it's an indicator we're going in the right direction. So the nervous system rejects things until they feel less new. So I like to say I'm a recovered people pleaser. And when I started to disappoint people, I felt like I was actually going to die. I got in my head. I started to feel so uncomfortable. And those are the feelings I was trying to avoid by living in line with the shoulds instead of the wants. So the first thing is to normalize discomfort and not look at it as an indicator you're going in the wrong direction. The second thing is to remember that being lost is a part of every worthwhile journey. Finding our way is not following some pre-paved path of going to school and getting married. It's really a lot messier than that. So oftentimes when we're in those moments of dark questioning and worry about what's next, we wanna get off the path. Our body's like, go back to the familiar, don't stay here. So telling ourselves that being lost Is the important part of the process and it will lead us to the answers is another really important stage. And then the third is to remember that it's normal to reinvent yourself throughout the life course. We kind of get this lie told to us, many of us, that like you get on a path and you follow it. But many people have multiple careers in a lifetime. Many people have multiple loves. Some things really do have beginning, middle and ends. And we, especially in the US, we don't like endings. We want them things to go on forever. We want to be young forever. We want things to feel good forever. So I also want to normalize the grief that comes with saying this relationship isn't good enough. This job doesn't meet my needs. We do have to give something up, but we're trading it in for a new sense of self, a new journey that we can approach with exploration and a spirit of playfulness.
0: Welding instructor Alex DeClair knows VR training platforms like Forge FX help students master their skills. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu podcast. What advice do you give in balancing sort of your... Basic needs, right? Like your life is sort of set up around a certain salary. You know, you you share your rent with your partner, whatever those things are that make your life kind of attainable. Mm -hmm. And when you decide you want to maybe make a huge change, it's often financial limitations, not just comfort limitations. You're getting outside of your comfort zone limitations that make those steps feel almost impossible. What do you say to that?
1: Yes. So that is a really good point because change, that is worthwhile is often very slow, but we don't want it to be, right? We are an instant gratification culture. So when I wanted a career change, I was like, it's gotta happen now. I've gotta figure this out. I need to find a job and I need to find a job that makes me a hundred thousand dollars. Because what we look at in the research on transitions is all transitions, even positive ones, like getting married or having a baby, bring up three key emotions, anxiety, grief, and fear. And all of those feelings slow us down. So we can have our North star, so to speak, of where we really wanna go, but then we need baby steps in order to get there, to make those changes. So another thing that's really cool about the nervous system is it needs to experience a sense of mastery in order to continue to take risks. So if you want to make a career change from um, tech to something in the creative arts, right? We need you to pick a small goal that feels possible, like starting to go to art shows, for example, and seeing how you feel. And then doing that for three months and noticing what it's like in your body, noticing what excites you. Who do you meet? What can you learn from their paths? So just normalizing that the transition is not going to often be quick, even though that's exactly what
0: we want it to be. Yeah, The opposite of that could be you're in a situation where you're ready for a change and sort of an easy path is presented to you, whether it's, you know, you jump from one relationship to the next or one career into something else that's a little bit different, but maybe not all the way. How do you talk yourself through not just taking the next easy step and actually making the harder decisions?
1: So the first thing is to normalize that our entire relationship to work is changing.
0: So a job used
1: to be just something that we made money with. Now we want it to ignite passion. We want it to be aligned with our mission. We want it to make a considerable amount of money. So when we are wanting to make a change and we start to feel the struggle, our bodies are going to want to ditch. And so then the question then becomes, what do I need from my community, from my partner, from others, in order to give me the courage and the energy to continue on this more challenging path. Because what we know is that change happens in connection and pain and struggle thrive in isolation. So if we're preparing for a big change, it's important to think about who we need, who's our accountability council, who's our cheerleader that's gonna help us navigate this bumpy road ahead. Um, The other thing is to differentiate on this road, when are we being complacent and ignoring what's hard and not advocating for ourselves versus accepting, okay, this is hard, let me observe it, let me figure out what I don't like about it, let me be with those things long enough to figure out
0: the changes I want to make and who I want to become. Yeah. What about when you're actually in a situation that is great? You know, you are happy, you are fulfilled, but you're kind of stuck on this hamster wheel of like never stop improving. How do you take the moment to appreciate what you've achieved?
1: Yeah. So I like to say to people that good enough and contentment, they ain't sexy. They don't often feel it, like that spark, right? It's sort of like when we first meet somebody and we get like our our attachment system gets activated, there's that excitement, and then we've been with them for a while, their bodies feel familiar. The things that they say are predictable, right? So oftentimes what is so uncomfortable about good enough is it just isn't vibrant every second of the day. And I really want to normalize that for people that... There is something so beautiful about hope, right? You, you Ella, talked about ambition and wanting to do better. But there's also something freaking agonizing about it. And if we're constantly staying in a realm of hopefulness, we are not necessarily connecting with what we already have. Um, I hear this a lot from people, especially with privileged identities of like, I have so much, but I still don't feel good about it, right? And that's often because we're trying to escape by living in the future and making things better rather than feeling that a full life means discontentment. A full life does not mean happiness all the time. Happiness is a fleeting emotion. Aliveness is not happiness. Aliveness is feeling the full spectrum, the fear, the sadness, the grief, the anger. So when we don't feel good enough, We also can ask ourselves, but do I feel alive? Am I feeling it all? Am I showing up for my life? Am I in the freaking ring while there are other people complacent on the sidelines? And if the answer to those questions are yes, maybe that's to lean into a path of acceptance rather than change.
0: Yeah. What are some feelings that you kind of coach to look for that indicate that it might be time to make a change in your life? So I like to think about
1: three key areas, frequency, intensity, and duration. So if you're noticing you've been thinking about a career change or a partner change or a city change over and over again for a long period of time, there might be something to that, right? There might be something worth investigating rather than tuning out of. Oftentimes, our intuitions are quiet whispers. They're crowded out by all the noise of our environments. So really getting quiet with ourselves and noticing when there's a persistent desire, of uh, an emotion where like you're noticing, I really don't feel good about this, but I don't know what to do about it. Allow yourself to feel it without the pressure to do anything about it. Anxiety is avoidance of the truth. So once we start to listen to the truth,
0: we often feel less anxious about being good enough. So how about the reverse? How do you recognize when it's sort of your muscle flexing, ready for change, ready for achievement, ready for ambition, when maybe what you really need to do is break that habit and learn how to live in the now? So I like to differentiate between two types of
1: desires, cravings the things that beckon for us, right? Like if only I dated that woman, like then it would be better. If only I had the house, then it would be better. And oftentimes what we crave is not what our soul desires. So learning to get quiet and looking at, but what is, what do I think those things will get me? What am I hoping to actually feel versus attain? So our soul desires are often things like comfort, care, connectedness, belonging, sensuality. And oftentimes we think if we are good enough, then we will finally be able to feel those things. When in reality, we can feel those things without acquiring more, getting more degrees, dating sexier people. So differentiating that craving which is the narrowing of focus to one thing to avoid messy emotions versus desires, which are often big, messy, ravenous. We get scared we can't have them, so we back away from them and we focus on the more easily attainable ones. So focusing not so much on what we want to get, but what we want to feel when we think we will have those things can really change our
0: relationship to ourselves. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I think a big part of this that can be really challenging is your relationship with the people in your life. So whether it's your family who expect you to keep the good job and be moving on this track that they helped you lay out, or it's a relationship and they love your partner or they you live in New York and you're close to your family, but you want to move away. How do you kind of start to release yourself from some of those um, burdens? And how do you sort of have those conversations with the people you're closest to about the change you're looking for? Do you even need to have those conversations? So
1: one of the things that makes change so hard, Ella, is that it requires loss. We have to give something up and we don't want to. And the truth is, in some cases, that's just not possible. And when we're constantly trying to keep up with the demands and expectations of others, we simply don't feel alive and free in ourselves. That's the trade-off so the first thing is identifying what feels most important to us it can be tricky to do that when our values like making sure our family feels good are at odds with our desires making sure we feel good even if we can't act on all desires it's important to tell a true story about actually having them and then picking the ones that we want to turn into lifestyle changes. And that might not be all of them. But again, I think this is an opportunity to start small, to pick ones that feel attainable, not too out of reach. And also to remember that in order to feel alive, we can't be taking care of others all the time. We can't be taking care of their expectations. Another thing that can feel really hard about um, family versus individual desires is many of us are a part of collectivist cultures where the individual and the family do not have such separate identities. So the individual's decisions are a reflection of the family. So I just want to normalize that that can feel like a ripping when you start to go your own way. It can really feel like you're breaking something and that can be incredibly painful. And when we do that, it's important to have community that we can connect to and relate to who normalizes our experience while also encouraging us to listen to that intuitive voice.
0: Mm -hmm. Looking at people who've kind of gotten over this trap of nothing's ever good enough or have finally found a level of contentment, Is there something that you think they all have in common?
1: Yes. So the people that have gotten off the hamster wheel are the ones that are willing to get on it and get off it multiple times throughout the life course. So there is no pinnacle reached. There is no, I feel good about everything all the time. And actually creating that expectation will lead to dissatisfaction. The ones that live most freely in themselves I've observed are the ones who are willing to not feel good. The ones who are willing to tell themselves the hard truth to fall apart. Like if I can give a personal example, I remember after I got divorced, I moved into a windowless studio and got four jobs. And I was like, really? Like this is the path towards good enough? (laughs) And in those dark moments, it felt so wrong, but then the why started to emerge. So those of us who are willing to live in line with who we really are, are the ones who know that the why emerges on the journey, not before it. All the stars are not going to align. There will not be a flashing neon light that says, now's the time to make the change. It will feel like a gamble. So I think when we have the courage to not feel good and to learn from that discomfort in order to have more space for goodness and joy, that's really the true test. Because what we know about emotions is when we blunt the negative, we blunt the positive. So those of us that are always chasing, who are refusing to feel the shit, are the ones who also have a hard time feeling the joy and the gratitude.
0: So we got to go through it. Yeah. And I think what's really powerful about that as well, we also really beat ourselves up. It's like we're like, gonna, I'm going to live an enlightened life now, and I'm going to focus on me, and I'm going to learn to set boundaries. And then we let one of those boundaries fall, and we're like, we beat ourselves up. We feel like we're off the trail. What's your take there? Yes, exactly. So goal setting is really tricky because The
1: bigger the goal, the bigger the chance that we're gonna get too intimidated to even try to achieve it. Think about standing at the bottom of a mountain when you look up. You kinda wanna turn away, just like when you're standing in front of your messy closet, it's too much, so you close the door. When we create bite-sized goals, so instead of, for example, exercising more or exercising every day, saying, I'm gonna get out of bed and I'm gonna just stretch, I'm going to rotate my feet and my ankles and my hands, and then feeling a sense of esteem and accomplishment. That's the thing that's going to help us continue on. So, progress is up and down. It's moments of feeling good and moments of feeling terrible. And when we realize that that's not a personal failing, that's the path to self awakening and self acceptance, we might beat
0: ourselves up a little bit less. Yeah. All right, how do you feel about the idea of getting to good enough as a New Year's resolution? So
1: I think there's a lot of value in looking at where we are and examining that without scrutinizing ourselves. So oftentimes the brain runs negative, And when we think of good enough, we think of all the ways we're not. And I wonder what it would be like if we made a list of all the ways we might be already. I wonder what it would be like to ask the people in our lives about the ways they see us as good, right? And to be with some of that goodness rather than run away from it. We're often not taught how to feel good. We typically look at the lack, There's something called social comparison theory, where we compare ourselves to people seemingly doing better all the time, right? Social media is a great way to do that. Oh, this one's on vacation. This one's in a loving relationship. We don't compare ourselves to people who might be not doing quote unquote as well as us. So the goal of good enough is to broaden the lens to not only looking at lack But also looking at the fullness where we might be hitting the mark already and we might be missing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, also, one of my takeaways from this is like taking back the word good and like really ascribing meaning to that as a culture, you know, it's like, how are you? Good. Good. How are you? We've sort of devalued good. It's Mm -hmm. you're either great or you're bad. Good has kind of become like this numb word. And, you know, what if we could all just be good enough. Yes. Well, so
1: many of us are so scared of mediocrity, right? Like there's this idea of being exceptional as the goal. But what I've found is most of us are just on the floor, crawling along, trying to figure it out. (laughs) You know, like when we really talk authentically, many of us are just are just figuring it out.
0: And where can our listeners find you for more of this wisdom?
1: So we have a beautiful space in Brooklyn. Um, You can follow us along at Spoke Circles. We also have a weekly newsletter. If you're not in New York City, that can provide you with many tips um, in our Brooklyn space. We... um, meet regularly in groups and really work through these hard things together and come to new life solutions. And you can also find me at Leah Love Avellino on Instagram and hear about different talks that I'm doing and different ways that I'm unpacking some challenges that you might be experiencing with kind of a unique way of thinking about them.
0: today's show you heard from Leah Avellino. This episode was mixed, scored, and scripted in part by Sarah Gabrielli and produced by Taylor Camille, Abby Stone, and myself, Ella Dub, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. Our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.